This podcast was created on Messy. Create your own show today at Messy.fm. Man, you ever know what it sounds like? Women, they be like, they be like, they, 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 they be like, smothering your ass. It's Rugby Rants about uh, episode 156. <laughs> Hi, Shadies. It's me, Eddie Stevens. The time is 1.52 p.m. my time. The date is November 22nd, my date. Um, how's it going? This has got to be a really quick one because I've got to leave here in an hour. So I've got to get this episode recorded, edited, um, and, of course, and most importantly, released before I leave. Let's see if I can do it, shall we? Let's see what's going on. Uh, it's almost December. It's beginning to look a lot like Shedmas. What if I did the whole song? That'd be annoying. Let me ask you something. Do you ever take a snack into the toilet when you're going to take a shit? Me neither. Um, But Christmas is coming. I'm panicking. Got to buy a bunch of shit for these kids that I accidentally made. Um, But I do want to, you know what? I haven't really enjoyed a Christmas in a long time. The last couple of years have been horrible because of my bitch come slut whore ex-wife. And uh, I lost the Christmas spirit if I ever had it. But this year, I've decided I'm going to go all out. I've even decided this year I'm going to uh, cut down a real Christmas tree because we've always used a fake Christmas tree. So we've always had this plastic one in the living room and it looks all right as far as fake trees go. But I think it'd be really fun this Christmas to cut down a real Christmas tree. Um, If anything, just to see the the fear on my children's faces as it came crashing down on top of their presents. Um, (laughs) I hope you got the joke. Um, I don't have time to edit. Uh, yeah, let, I, do you know what? I think I'm just going to get on with it. I don't, oh no, I was going to say something. Um, cause my kids were watching the Goonies recently. Um, and I rem- and I had a flashback to when I was little and I watched the Goonies. You remember the Goonies? It was a great film. Uh, you know, that big rock from the Goonies, the, the one that I think they went under it to get into the, the secret cave, that rock, I can't remember the name of the rock, but it, it's in uh, Portland. And uh, I went there and I saw it. And uh, you can check out my Instagram if you want to, at Eddie Stevens Massive, and you will see pictures of that rock. rock and it was a beautiful day. I talked about it uh, whenever that was. It would have been at some point in April. I don't suggest going back and finding it. There's no point at this rate. Um, but uh, yeah, what I remembered was... I found and still do find Sloth, you know, the, hey, you guys, retarded one. I find him terrifying. Um, and I found him terrifying as a child. And when I was talking to my kids about it, they, they were like, well, he's kind of scary, but I don't get it. I remembered what it was that made me so scared. And that is that for some reason, my uh, our parents told my brother and me when we first watched it that that was his real face because he got run over a by a car when he was a child <laughs> that his head got run over and that really fucked me up you know and i think that's why to this day i'm scared of sloth mind you i'm actually slightly unnerved by anybody disfigured or mentally physically or mentally um retarded in any way what a what a politically incorrect intro but it's me you know unapologetically um i'm a piece of shit uh, but we're going to get on with this, and I'm going to talk about a f- few things really, really quickly. Obviously, the only important thing is the uh, England versus All Blacks match, which I want to talk about. But I also want to talk a little bit about that cunt Razzy Erasmus and all of his piece of shit fans, and Sonia McLaughlin. 
Sonia? Sonia? I'll disown you if you don't listen to this episode. Oh, dear me. It's uh, Rugby Round Eventer, episode 156. Let's go. So really quickly, before I get into the England match, um, the so- Sonia McLaughlin thing was really, it was really interesting because um, she tweeted something that I feel like, look, I'm as anti-woke as it gets. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a, I'm a decent human being, so I hate real racism. I hate real homophobia. I hate real transphobia. I hate real... Uh, Ah, uh, Real Monsters, the cartoon from the 80s, or 90s, rather. Um, I hate all of that negative shit, but I also get fed up with everyone being upset by the slightest little implication of something that could be offensive. However, I am shocked by the lack of backlash for Sonia McLaughlin's comments about um, certain members of the England team being compared to Dober... I was going to say Dobermans. Is it Dobermans? Is a group of, is more than one Doberman, Dobermans or Dobermen? It's got to be Dobermans, right? Um, but I haven't got her tweet right here in front of me, but she essentially compared certain members of the England team to attack dogs to face the Haka. And she basically named every non-white player with the exception of Maro Itoji, which didn't make sense to me because he is one of the bigger tougher (laughs) one of them and when i say them i mean england players um this is what annoys me she said that without the slightest intended hint of racism she will defend it she would defend it by saying oh i just named the players that i thought were the most physically intimidating but the fact is it actually makes it worse because she sees those players of a certain color um, as somehow scarier than the others, you know, you can't tell me that, um, I'm trying to think of a player that's, that's, uh, that's white in the England team, uh, who's scary. Uh, or maybe they're not. I'm trying to think now. Let's go through the team. Ellis Genge is scary and tough. Who was playing hooker? Luke Cowan Dickey. He's pretty scary and tough. Carl Sinclair, yeah. I mean, they're all they're all tough, and they could all be scary if they wanted to be. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I've decided to try and fuck myself by by uh, discussing it any further. But all I'll say is this: I don't understand how uh, how how this hasn't resulted in a huge backlash. I was expecting, unless she immediately deleted it. But even so, on Twitter, I'm usually I'm usually like on the pulse when it comes to rugby and rugby Twitter is full of scandal and bullshit and people getting upset and real, honestly real cunts. And I cannot believe that it wasn't trending what she'd said. And I'm slightly disappointed in a way, because I think it's one situation when actually she should be um, scrutinized for what she said, because it is, it actually is fucked up and unacceptable, but not as fucked, not as fucked up 
as a, and unacceptable as people um every fucking time we play the all blacks making the hilarious joke that a great response to the haka would be morris dancing it was funny the first time someone said it in 1925 it's 2025 now did you know that it is and um we're sick to death of it and you know what's funny said this in my little rugby brethren group chat and brother matt uh had already suggested to me this made this very joke to me uh which makes me very angry with brother matt but i'll put it down to he's very young so he hasn't had time to see it again and again and again and again but now he'll he'll look out for it now and he'll he'll notice and he will be ashamed of himself he may kill himself we don't know i don't think he's the type i think he's too uh strong for that as are all of the rugby brethren um what else was i going to say uh Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the Razzie Erasmus thing for a second. I'm just going to pull open my Twitter, if you don't mind. Sounds rude, doesn't it? I'm just going to open up my Twitter uh, and see what it was that somebody... Oh, <laughs> there's a few scandalous things that upset me. Uh, even before I get onto Razzie Erasmus, how am I going to get this done? This is probably going to be released later. I don't think I'm going to have time to edit and publish this, so... As you will have heard in the intro, I did start recording this sort of midday uh, on a Tuesday, but it's probably not going to get out till, uh, you know, a Wednesday, your time and my time. Um, yeah, very quickly, another scandal. Uh, Nigel Owens, retired referee Nigel Owens, uh, who is famously openly gay, tweet, uh, shared... Uh, or rather, actually, there's two funny things. First, he, um, well, this isn't funny. He mentioned on Twitter that he shared a post on Facebook, shared someone else's Facebook um, post that was homophobic, and then he got banned by Facebook. So shame on Facebook for that. But then he's talking about how bad this is. And surprise, surprise, a fucking South African says, now you know how Springbok supporters, I'm not going to do the accent. Now you know how Springbok supporters feel when the refs continually make mistakes and penalize the team and they have nowhere to complain to. Welcome to our world. The worst is you were the fairest ref against Springboks. So just some props for you. Life's unfair, isn't it? So what he's done is he's, he's taken, <laughs> he's jumped into a post about a terrible piece of homophobia and compared his life as a springbok where, because as we all know, the springboks, ha there is a global conspiracy against the springboks where all of the racist, all of the racists, sorry, Freudian slip, all the referees probably are racist, right? Um, and I mean, South Africans would know the most about that, wouldn't they? Um, so they're probably all racist, uh, only against South Africa though. And, uh, they just don't want South Africa to win and they do whatever they can. It's completely unfair. We all know this, right? Um, but what I love about this fucking moron's reply is just scrolling through the replies. Ready? In Twitter. I'm just going to read some of them. This is from Brother brother Chris, Brother Jonesy. Um, do you think this is appropriate? The next one is not quite as um, polite. And it says, one of the cuntiest things I've ever read on social media. Get fucked. <laughs> That's from Jonty Up North. Uh, who is a Shetty, I believe. He, I, so, so, I, I know he's a Shetty. Okay. I don't know why I said I believe. That was me trying to be humble somehow, but I, I shouldn't be because I'm great. Um, next one. What a disgusting comparison. Mistakes versus comments meant to hurt. What an abhorrent, nasty, spiteful nation you have become. See, so this is what happens. 
it's true. I agree. It is sort of consistent with what all of the South African fans seem to think. But this is what. But but for for those South, I know there are reasonable South African fans that don't like this kind of thing. Look what your compatriots, if that's the right word, your fellow Buck fans. Look what they're doing to your reputation. Next one. Oh, for fuck's sake, there's no comparison. One is homophobic BS. The other is differences of interpretation slash opinion about the laws of a game. You seriously need to stop this. It's pathetic. Next one. Get fucked, you absolute cretin. Next one. Um, They're too long. Uh, Let's just say it's nonstop. Nonstop fuck yous. I'm reading through now. It's hilarious. Uh, congratulations on the worst take on Twitter. It's hardly the same thing, is it? Roger, are you fucking stupid? <laughs> Taxi for Roger. Oh, my God. Uh, so this is a rare case of Twitter just fixing the problem, okay? Someone said something fucking stupid and immediately got shut down. Okay, so first there's that. Then Nigel Owens again. Nigel Owens causing all sorts of problems for us. Um, he shared a letter that someone sent to him that I'm not going to read because it's just, it's, it looks like the ramblings of a deranged man, which is what it clearly is. A lot of religious things about how being gay is an abomination and a blasphemy, blah, blah, blah. But there's a one bit of it that is absolutely brilliant. And that's where in this letter, I'm looking at it right now. He says, uh, only a queer would buy a Korean car. Which is amazing. I feel like even like the most unhinged, fucked up homophobe would say, oh, you've lost me there. I feel like they might have gone with all of it. And he's like, well, I don't know if a Korean car makes you gay, you know. And then there will be some insecure people who aren't really homophobic, but they're going to be going, shit, where's my car from? What are Korean cars? Is a Hyundai a Korean car? Do you say Hyundai? Do you say Hyundai? Do you say who Who knows? I'm, I, I can't pronounce it because I'm not gay. Um, but that's amazing, isn't it? Anyway, that's all the Twitter shit, except for something that I thought about or something that made me think about Razzie Rasmus uh, a little more. And that is, if I can find it, I did have it here. I think it was Rugby, who was it? Rugby Pass uh, shared... Uh, or posted something that said a powerful statement from a former Springbok captain. And I haven't read the article, but the quote is from ex Springbok captain, John, Sh- John Schmidt. And he, and on Razzie Erasmus, he says he is making it difficult for his team. It's made us as a rugby team so easy to dislike. Um, which is a fair statement. Uh, and then read through the replies Find, go on to uh, tw- rugby, Twitter's rugby pa- uh, rugby pass's Twitter account. Find the the tweet with a picture of Razzie Erasmus this, with a with a statement from John Smith Schmidt, um, and uh, just read through the replies because you. I expected for some reason, even though I know how they are, I expected a lot of Springbok fans going, "Yeah, he's taken things too far." But almost every single reply, and there are a shit ton of replies, almost every single one is fucking supporting him 
which goes to show it's not just Razzie Erasmus who's completely unhinged with a fucked up, bizarre victim mentality and a complete lack of sportsmanship. Um, first response from, I'm not going to say the name, but it's obviously an Af- South African. Yeah, he has made the team easy to dislike because he has made it a strong team. Uh, they are losing some, but most of the important important games are won. It's about time refs are called out for favouring Northern Hemisphere teams and All Blacks, their other favourites. So because it's basically whoever beats South Africa are the ones that the refs are favouring. Next comment, nothing powerful here. Refs need you, refs need you get things right and can be, and be consistent. Too much to ask. Uh, then is a sort of reasonable one. There are, there have been many mavericks over the centuries that espoused controversial views, but as history has shown, were shown to be great thinkers of their time. I think we may be witnessing that, as unpopular as it may seem currently. Not powerful at all. The way referees are protected is cringeworthy. These people, I mean, th- there's tons and tons and tons more. Um... Try not to lose sight of the bigger picture. Why does no one see what we all see? Blatant poor refereeing and affecting game's flow and results. Someone had to say it. Fuck you. Oh, my God. It's... And and, and this is the thing. I, I, I compared Razzie Erasmus to Donald Trump, and he is. Razzie Erasmus is to rugby what Donald Trump is to politics. That's not fair, because... Razzie Rasmus is probably, well, is definitely better at his job than Donald Trump was. But in terms of what he does uh, with social media, what he does to, um, oh Christ, what's the word? Um, I can't think of the word, but basically fracture his fan base and create this chronic, awful, uh, tension and 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 the way that he plays the victim uh when he's just you know he's got this he won they won a fucking world cup and this is the problem with them they're such bad that as i said before the south africans almost to a man are terrible losers and terrible winners so there's a lot of anytime they're criticized they say well we won the world cup so fuck you and it's like nobody nobody has criticized the way that South Africa play rugby. They've criticized the disgusting and abhorrent behavior of their head coach, whether it's um, passive aggressive tweets, whether it's blatant all out accusations of racism in the form of YouTube videos. Um, It just never ends with him. And then the fans uh, like, like, like Trump supporters will defend everything he says and does with a huge degree of arrogance. And I hope I haven't um, put off any Trump fans. (laughs) I hate Razzie Erasmus much more than I hate Donald Trump, to be honest with you. I think he's done more harm. (laughs) Oh, what a complete and utter prick. He should be banned from from, from all rugby. He really should. I think what he has done is so disgusting. Like I said, it's the Trump comparison. Um, Like, honestly, rugby Twitter... Just rugby in general is miserable. Being a rugby fan is miserable, miserable enough. There's enough for us to argue about and get upset about 
you know, and now you've got this bullshit to deal with. They but like on that note, England's playing South Africa this weekend. I don't know if I can watch it. I don't know if I can watch it because I hate them so much. And I know it's not the players' fault, but some of them it is. Some of them it is. They act. In fact, fuck all of them. They are all part of that. I guarantee they all um, enjoy that victim mentality and that us versus that. And I've told you before my theory on this. Uh, I think it all stems from coming back from the apartheid, um, being allowed back into the global rugby community, but having this chip on their shoulder because they know that they've been judged very harshly for a very long time. So first they were trying extra hard to come across as we're not racist. We're not racist. Look at all these blacks. Look at all the blacks in our, in our squad. And it, even down to the point where I think in the early days, like the mid nine, late nineties, they would often have some token players of color there that maybe even didn't even deserve to be there, but they were so desperate to, not seem racist they had to do that and um and still they would get shit for it and it kind of reminds me of germans uh nowadays uh where people still have a go at them about uh the holocaust get over it just kidding but i mean you know if you're a 20 something german i don't think you had much to do with that and yet still i guarantee some of them get a bit of a chip on their shoulder because of the the uh the insults that they will sometimes, am I making sense? What I'm saying is I think that, I think that this, the Springboks got so fed up with the moral superiority of, uh, other nations. They kind of now they're defensive about everything. And that's why you get madness like Razzy Erasmus accusing a referee of being racist. And I think they believe all their own hype, all their own bullshit because they've had to make uh, uh, anti-racism, such a huge part of their, um, of their rugby's identity. They've believed their own bullshit and they think they are somehow poster childs for some kind of beautiful, all encompassing, um, rainbow nation, uh, of love and inclusion. And that's not true. And if it is true, that's the way it should be fucking anyway. There's nothing to get get on your moral high horse about with that, you pricks. Anyway, I kind of went way deeper on that than I meant to. Um, let's talk about the England game, England versus New Zealand. What a fucking bizarre game. Have you ever seen anything like it with an England team? I haven't. First of all, I'm just going to go through my notes. So this will be a bit disjointed, but I want to talk about the actual lineup of the team. I have, in this build-up, not really defended the inclusion of Jack Knoll because he certainly isn't who I would pick, but I have felt like a lot of people are being too hard on him and too hard on his selection because it's Jack Knoll. He's a very special player, but he didn't have a great game. Didn't have a great game the week before either. Hard to justify his inclusion at this point. Whereas on the other side, Johnny May, I was, I was typing this during the game. How is he in the squad with all of the wing talent that Eddie Jones has at his disposal in the premiership. I think I said this last week, I could name six or seven wingers that I would pick ahead of Johnny May on the wing. Um, it's madness that he's there, but he had a really good game. He didn't just have a good game in that he, you know, made some good decisions and worked really hard because he did do those things, but he looked good. He looked physically 
He looked quick. He looked dangerous. He looked smart. He, he looked like a world-class winger in a game that it was hard to look good in if you were on the wing, to be honest with you. Um, Owen Farrell won his 100th test cap. Regardless of, of whether you think he should be in the team, regardless of you think he's good enough at 12, whether you think he should be at 10, whether you sh- think he shouldn't be there at all, I think Owen Farrell might be the most unfairly scrutinized, most unfairly judged England player of all time. Because uh, he's just, as long as he's been around, he's, this, he's had 100 test caps now. He's played for the Lions on, I think, two tours, right? Um, no one no other player I can think of has had as much, um, as many question marks over his name whilst consistently playing well for England. Um, and I've been guilty of this, by the way. I've been, I've questioned his inclusion over the last few years. I've accused him of being too conservative. Um, but, um, this is the thing. I'm an England fan and this is the danger with England. Okay, English fans. I mean, I talked shit about South Africa, but we have our weaknesses too. England fans are guilty of two things uh, with England. Uh, first of all, we're always wanting some kind of mercurial talent at 10. We want some kind of insane magician at 10. We want Marcus Smith. We want Danny Cipriani in his prime. We want this guy who's going to unlock our backs and blow minds and be the perfect package, even though that perfect package does not exist. Um, so that's the first thing we want. So anyone playing 10 for England, even if they're playing well, is going to be getting shit constantly. And it's true. You think of any 10 for England over the years, Owen Farrell, George Ford, Marcus Smith. Now it's never enough. We are never satisfied with who's at 10. And and I, I blame myself for that too. I've, I'm a bit, I've been like that. Although now that I recognize it, I probably won't be. The other thing we tend to do uh, is we tend to want to blame one person for our loss it it always seems to be it's either our coach uh, or it's a prop because of the scrums or it's our fly half there's always one player that we like to demonize and plenty of times over the years it's been owen farrell maybe that's not fair well yeah it is because this is the thing he doesn't have bad performances you never see i don't think i've ever seen a, a, a match that owen farrell played in where i went oh my god he had a shocker and yet there'll be games where the team didn't play well and everyone wants to blame him. So anyway, there's that. Uh, match was starting. I had to make a note of the electric guitar for New Zealand's anthem. That was cheesy as fuck. I hate... Look, I don't really want to hear anyone's national anthems before the game, to be honest with you. I, like, if I'm, if I'm not watching it live, I fast forward through it. But guess what they should do? You know, if you're going to have a band playing, have just like a military band no opera singers no fucking pop stars definitely no electric guitar and just let people sing it you know or have like a little chorus that starts it to cue when they should start don't have any instruments i think that'd be much more powerful anyway um i want to talk about uh van portfleet now i like van portfleet i don't think he's become a terrible player i think his uh the, the decision to start him at nine for England was a good one. He wouldn't have been my choice. I would now have Alex Mitchell and I would have done before the match started. And before he was brought into the squad, I probably would have put Rafi Quirk. Well, no, I definitely would have put Rafi Quirk ahead of him 
as well. But mind you, you can't really trust my opinions on Scrum Half because it wasn't long ago this season I was saying Dan Robson should be starting. So it shows what a fucking idiot I am. But um, here's the thing now with Rafi Quirk, what I talked about earlier. Yes, some people want to blame him. It's not really fair because I think most... 99% of England fans know that what went wrong with England was a sort of collective fuck up. But um, what we've got now is because a lot of people have been saying that he had a really, really bad game, a lot of people want to defend him and they want to say, hey, stop blaming a young scrum half for, for all the problems. He actually wasn't that bad. Look, he's a good player. He's a good scrum half. I would want to start him again just because... I think that at the very least he could develop into a special talent and I don't think it would be very nice to drop him after that. But let's not bullshit ourselves. He had a bad game. He had a really, really bad game. As In fact, I think he probably had the worst scrum half performance I've seen in an England shirt. And I include, you know, the, the, the Danny Care showing that made Martin Johnson smash the table with his fist in fury. Um, and I include whatever it was a million years ago. If you remember Sean Perry, remember Sean Perry got taken off. And I remember Australian commentators going, that man is not an international flo- uh, scrum half, which wasn't true. He was actually not that bad. Anyway, that was the worst scrum half performance I've seen. His decision-making was poor at times. Uh, the interception, the intercepted pass, um, First of all, the intercepted pass was a terrible pass. It was ob- it was so telegraphed. It was should never have been given. The other thing is, it came from um, Van Portfleet kicking the ball away with England in a prime attacking position. We were deep in their twenty-two, maybe just outside the twenty-two actually, and he kicked it to one of their players. He just kicked it deep. No one was there was no danger from England of uh, of winning the ball back. New Zealand counterattacked or booted it back, whatever it was. Next thing you know, he gives the interception pass. So he had a terrible match. But I don't think he will again. Not like that. Um Jack Knoll, I got to know he he was stepped too easily by Clark. Yeah, I thought he had a poor game. Um All I could think about, I made a note of this, eight and a half minutes into the match when New Zealand got their second try, all I could think about was Eddie fucking Jones with his there for the taking comment. I I hate it when coaches do this, when they talk shit about the other team before the game starts. Tell your players that by all means. Don't put it out. No doubt that motivated them. Um, Now let's talk about the ref for a minute because look, I am not going to be a hypocrite now. I am going to complain about the referee, but that does not make me a hypocrite. Because do I think that South Africans, in the history of South African rugby, have they had matches where the referee made a bunch of terrible decisions against them? Yeah, because it's rugby, and sometimes it happens. That's my point. What I will never, ever do, what I will sometimes do is complain about refereeing, okay? What I will never do is accuse um, the referees of an intentional bias against us. I will never say that. But this was one of those matches where, you know, I like to think that I'm very objective when I'm looking at the referee's decisions. Um, And there was definitely way more decisions that he gave against us that I didn't agree with than 
than he gave against New Zealand that I didn't agree with, if that makes sense. Now, I know that you, you could easily say, well, of course, you're an England fan. So, of course, you're going to agree, you're going to agree more with decisions against the All Blacks. But this was just, you know, believe me or don't believe me. If you're an England fan and you're watching it, I'm sure you're going to agree with me. There were a lot of decisions that went against England that the Kiwis got away with. Um, and some of that, there was a, actually in Jack Van Portfleet's defense, uh, there was a knock on at the base of a ruck though, where I don't think he even knocked it on. Um, there were a few things like that. And there is no doubt in my mind that, that the refereeing decisions were as much to do with New Zealand getting a huge lead early on as was, as uh, England playing poorly was. And England did play poorly. Right, we were doing well. I'm going to get into what I think the problem was with England. Um, let's see. Reading my notes. Oh, I did have this thought though. Okay, so this is actually what I was going to talk about. What the thing that I think was most poor about England is the thing that has been poor this whole autumn international series. I could see it against Argentina. I could see it against Japan. Um, do you remember me saying? There seemed to be a lack of intensity at the breakdowns. We seemed to be going through the motions. We didn't have that test match aggression that you normally see. Like when you watch Ireland playing and it's like, holy fuck, it's like painful to watch because they're so aggressive. They're so fired up and the other team responds and then they're super aggressive. and fire. Once again, England didn't seem to have that tenacious um, mindset. And, I think that the reason that Jack Van Poorfleet looked so poor at nine and had such a bad game is probably something to do to do with the reason why Ben Youngs has looked poor for England many times. It's that his pack weren't giving him the protection he needed. You know, they weren't getting good front football for him. You know, that being said, there were still far, far too many errors by uh, Van Poorfleet. Okay, but still, I do think that that had something to do with it. Um, I thought Johnny Hill had another poor game. Uh, he, he, he knocked the ball on in a prime attacking position right in front of the try line. And then shortly after, I don't know if anyone else noticed this and you obviously can't get penalized for attempting this, but he uh, clearly tried. He attempted a deliberate knock on. He swung his hand forwards at a ball. So I was ready to go into fucking psycho mode because he'd already knocked it on. Then he almost deliberately knocked it on to give him a penalty. Um, I will say this back to the England not being aggressive and disruptive enough at the breakdowns. Because this has been a consistent theme during the the Autumn Internationals, would it not be a good idea to start Jack Willis since that's kind of his specialty? I think Jack Willis with Tom Curry. I like um, almost a Joe Simmons. Um, I kind of think his fucking name. Sam Simmons, Christ. I like Sam Simmons, and I think he's a great player. I don't think he was that impressive for England. He wasn't bad. He's been all right. But I think I'd like to see, if I if, if he's going to be in the team, I do want to have him at eight. But I think it'd be nice to see Jack Willis at six, Tom Curry at seven, and either uh, Sam Simmons or Billy Vinopola at eight. I think that would work way better. And, of course, Dave Ribbons needs to start at, at second row in place of Johnny Hill because he had a stormer when he came on and he is an aggressive player. He would also help with the, uh, the, uh, the intensity. Um, 
Oh, I made a little note here. I don't know if this is even, I'm sort of disrupting my own flow here. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves, I must have been checking Twitter when I wrote this. One of my biggest pet peeves is when I tweet something about rugby and then some American I know who has no interest in rugby likes it. Like, because at best they're trying to be supportive. They're like, oh, I'll like his tweet, which I'm not interested in. I don't need it. I don't need your likes, your sympathy likes. Um, but at worst, what they're doing, because I've had this happen too, is some sort of weird, boring, tongue-in-cheek, I'm liking this tweet that I know nothing about. Isn't that funny? I've been guilty of this. When Brother Phil, uh, Brother Phil, El- um, yeah, Brother Phil Elkins from Mall Over Rugby Podcast tweets things about uh, his veterinary practice, I'll sometimes say, I've said this a hundred times. He'll say something about how to breed bulls with a new, weird, um, vibrating dildo device or something i don't know i don't know what what, anything about it but that's my point i'll jump in and go yes i've been saying this for years ha 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 what an annoying twat i am i won't do it again because i don't like it when people do it to me um now new zealand scored a try from a from a kick pass where yuani was a fucking mile offside i was Somebody tell me if it got disallowed. I don't think it did, but it was so blatant that my brain will not accept that they didn't come back for the for the penalty for being offside. But the game could have been very different if they had bothered to have they'd bothered to referee if the referee had a brain and the TMO had a brain. I thought it was maybe I should rewatch it. Maybe I'm insane. Someone's insane here because it looked like it wasn't even close. Um I made a note that Sinclair Hill, Itoji, and Curry are all seriously underperforming. Now, I said that before the last sort of 15 minutes where Tom Curry suddenly, someone probably told him what I'd said and it motivated him and he went into fucking God mode and was amazing. So I take that back about him now. Um, but in general, in the case of like Marrow and Curry, for some people, it's blasphemous to suggest that they're, that they're underperforming. Um, cause I said this about Marrow and, uh, brother Ben Eustace from all over podcast told me I was an idiot. Well, he didn't say I was an idiot. He said, whoever said Marrow is playing bad is an idiot. Um, or, or maybe how did he phrase it? I can't remember, but the point is, well, however he phrased it was that I'd said that Marrow was not a good player or something negative. It's like, obviously he's fucking amazing. I would never not pick Marrow, except that I do feel like by his high standards, he's been very poor for a while, um, for England. And I wouldn't mind seeing him drop to the bench for a game just to fucking give him a kick up the ass. I don't usually agree with that sort of thing, but in his case, I do. They did it with Billy when they should have, and it sort of seemed to work. Um, as the game was developing and England were looking better and we looked so much better, um, at least twice we had someone in space where just a pass would have resulted in a try or a try, or at least a good try scoring opportunity and the player didn't pass. One time was Johnny May. The other time was Billy Vinopola. It doesn't really matter. These things happen, but I do, I did want to mention it. Um, yeah, I made a note here that I feel like Razzy Erasmus because I was getting so fed up with the referee. Um, what I loved in this match, though, in that last 10 minutes was that, you know, I think New Zealand will feel like they let their guard down. They had a player sent off and they stopped performing, uh, which I can understand. But I do feel like England did 
unlock something that they were holding back not deliberately some people are suggesting this is england's game plan was to hold it back which makes no sense like the idea oh we're just gonna wait we're gonna let them kick the shit out of us for 70 minutes and then we'll let it like that would make sense if we had this secret plan that was unstoppable rugby if there were such a thing which there isn't that would make sense to hold it back if we held it back until the world cup when it was needed but the idea that we're holding something back so so other teams don't see what we're doing doesn't make any sense um but it did we did switch it on and marcus magic marcus smith looked magical finally um and uh, i went from saying that's the game over there was no way back was there there was no way back this was the best fight back i've ever seen by england i mean i don't know what it, whether statistically it was i mean surely england's never been behind by that many points with 10 minutes left and managed to draw the game um they did it with some of the best attacking open rugby i've seen from england play in years um but on that note we we clawed our way back to a draw now this is the big talking point isn't it was it the right thing to do should england have kicked the ball out with the game tied up or should they have kept playing and tried to get the win now first before i say what i think i will say i can totally understand both sides of this argument people saying that it was the right thing to do because we were under pressure in our own 22 um we'd be getting the shit kicked out of us we came back fuck it just get the ball off will take the draw. I think that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. But then people saying, hey, it wasn't a World Cup match. It wasn't a Six Nations match. It wasn't a match where the result really meant anything. Although, doesn't it count for like rankings, world rankings? No one's mentioned that, but maybe that would make a difference. Uh, in fact, if drawing against New Zealand would keep England higher ranked than if they'd lost then it was the right thing to do i don't think that is the case though my point is people saying we should have gone for the win i can totally understand that too what i will not understand and i cannot accept is people saying this was pathetic regressive weak unambitious rugby fight by england and it shows the difference between their mindset and the all blacks's mindset because the all blacks would definitely have kept playing that is absolute bullshit if 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 the roles were of because i saw all black uh, you know former all black players saying this like oh it's a bit weird uh and even the players themselves we wanted to try and get the win uh i guess england just were happy with a draw we wouldn't have been yeah no shit you were in our 22 if 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 that we'd kicked off to them and ended up deep in their half and we got the ball back of course we wouldn't have kicked it off. We'd have fucking kept going. I mean, that would be insane. That would be pathetic to kick it off when you're actually in a position to win the match. But you got to understand, first of all, to fight back from the deficit that we had was incredible. It's unheard of. I kn- it was impossible. It couldn't have happened, yet it did. So right there, we're in a position where, to be brutally fucking honest, a draw did feel like a win. I felt like we won the match. And I'm not surprised that New Zealand felt like they lost the match because that that was the um, momentum of the game. Um, 
The other thing is, if you look at the players when they're in that position, they're fucked. You've got Mako Vunapola, who's barely, I mean, Mako Vunapola had a great game, by the way. Uh, what did he come on for? Like 15, 20 minutes? That's all he can handle now. He was fucked. He's like a big, angry old man running around and he yelled at Marcus Smith to kick the ball off. And if you just look at them, they were off. They were, they were, they were all, um, what's the phrase? Something on their feet, dying on their feet, unconscious. I can't think of the, the phrase, but you know what I'm saying? They all needed a break. And here's the other thing. And this is the main reason that despite the fact I can see both sides of the argument, I err on the side of the, they did the right thing. The way that ref was playing, where he was basically running around with the whistle in his mouth the entire time, just like accidentally breathing into it sometimes and giving a penalty, and the way that the penalties seemed to be going against England the whole match, it would have been almost guaranteeing yourself a loss if if we'd have tried to play that. Because New Zealand could have forced a penalty so easily. And that's the problem, you know? Um but you know, I am a bit torn. I could, I could also see an argument for just boot the ball back to New Zealand as deep as you can get it and try and put the pressure back on them. Because if you do lose, it's not the end of the world. And how great would it be to get a win? So I can understand both, but all things, cause you know, they didn't have time to sit around and read Twitter comments and listen to people's opinions and talk to each other and go, well, what do you think about this? Do you have the energy? Do you think we stand a chance? What about, you know, they didn't have time for that. They took a kickoff. Marcus Smith got the ball and at least one player told him to kick it off. So he did. Um, so definitely Marcus Smith can't be blamed, but also I don't think the team in general can be. Anyway, that's the end of my, my podcast. Not forever. Sadly for you. Uh, I will be back with a bigger attitude next time. And, um, Follow me on uh, Instagram at Eddie Stevens Massive. Follow me on Twitter at Eddie Stevens with an extra S at the end. Um, follow me on Facebook if you want to. I don't see any point. I don't really do anything with it. And uh, let me let me know what you think. Um, I got to go. I've got to go. I haven't got time. I shouldn't even have done this podcast. I'm in, I'm late for work. Goodbye. Oh